The 2003 Rugby World Cup will unfortunately go down as the worst one for the Springboks. In this video, you are going to get a front row seat to a retrospective review. I'll give you my thoughts on what went down and you'll also hear from five Springboks in their own words. Let's get started. The period 1999 to 2003 was not a great one for the Springboks. Even though the team performed admirably at the 1999 Rugby World Cup, the results really were not great. And by finishing third at that tournament in Wales, quite frankly, it only papered over the cracks. The superb team of 1997-98 that had won 17 tests in a row had been broken up, and the results were inconsistent, to say the least. In 2000, the Springboks earned a memorable win over New Zealand at Ellis Park, but it was our only win of the Tri-Nations that year, and coach Nick Mallett lost his job. Although it is worth pointing out that it wasn't because of the results that Mallett lost his job, instead it was him questioning the price of the tickets. SA Rugby didn't like that, and they replaced him with Harry Fulyun, a man who thought it would be a good idea to play an entire test match without kicking the ball. Until they did have to kick the ball. Fulyun didn't actually do that badly as Springbok coach. We beat Argentina, Wales and Ireland on the 2000 end of year tour, before falling to England, who were becoming a formidable opponent at that stage. Into 2001, we drew a home series against France, but the world champion Wallabies were unable to beat us that year. We beat them at Loftus and drew against them in Perth. We also should have beaten the All Blacks at Newlands in our opening Tri-Nations game, but Percy Montgomery had a bad night with the boot. This was before Percy Montgomery became a reliable goal-kicking machine that seemingly never missed a kick. And then on the road in 01, we lost quite convincingly to France as well as England, but we did beat the United States in quite a strange end-of-year test match. We have not been back to the States since. So a mixed bag of results, Harry Fulyun then resigned and Rudolf Strauli came in to replace him. To be fair to Strauli, he had actually done quite well with Bedford and the Sharks. He took the Sharks to two Curry Cup finals as well as a Super 12 final. And that's what helped him get the Bok job. It started well enough with some encouraging performances in the June test as well as the Tri-Nations even though we weren't winning. But there was a memorable last minute try from Van Grief to help us beat the Wallabies at Ellis Park. That actually tied the scores and Grief showed big balls by taking the conversion himself and ensuring the victory. But then the wheels came off on the end of year tour. We were embarrassingly beaten by France, 30-10. Then even more embarrassingly, we were beaten by Scotland, 21-6, and then perhaps the ultimate humiliation, we were thrashed 53-3 by England at Twickenham. I'll let Corne Kricher tell you about that one. Yeah, so we uh, I actually talk about it quite a lot. Um, it takes a couple of years to recover from, from, from the biggest uh, loss in Springbok history. Luckily, um, Evan Etzebeth now has that monkey on, on his back. I, I, it took me 16 years, 16 years. Um, and, and I, to be honest, I think 57 and I think is the biggest loss now. And that's to New Zealand. But ours was against England at Twickenham. Yeah, we had a, we, we, as I said, we had a young team. We got fired up. Janusz Labuskakny got a red card within 10 minutes. So we played 70 minutes with, with 14 men against guys who were seven, eight months away from being, being world champions. So we just, we just got a hiding, you know. So uh, I, in the game, I, 
I, I made a lot of mistakes um, in terms of just like being over aggressive because I was I was so disappointed in some of the younger younger guys in the in the group that sort of you could just see their their, their eyes were big and they they didn't know what to do and when you don't know what to do just at least try your best you know so I was quite disappointed in that and I thought you know I'm just gonna try and take it all try and do it all myself. Which, which can't work on a rugby field. And, um, yeah, I made, as I said, I made some mistakes, which I regretted for many years, but I've apologised, I think, enough times. Strauli asked to be judged on the 2003 Rugby World Cup, which was just as well, because in 03 we started by struggling to beat Scotland twice, and then we needed Louis Kuhn to kick a last-minute penalty to overcome Argentina. Also, big balls. The Tri-Nations did not go well. Yes, we started off nicely by beating Australia at Newlands, but then we were annihilated by the All Blacks in Pretoria. 16-52 the score. Cue the Jan van Riebeek jokes. We also lost in Australia and New Zealand, and then it was time to head back to Australia for the World Cup. And I think it's fair to say with fairly low expectations. But the boys did start quite nicely by hammering Uruguay 72-6. And to be honest, it was quite nice to see us thrash them the way we did, given how we had laboured to victory against them four years earlier. But then came the crunch game against England in Perth. Time for a personal anecdote. I watched the match with a very good friend of mine. Before the time, we went to Spa to buy biltong, snacks and some drinks. Not the kind you get at Tops, by the way. And actually, Tops didn't exist in 2003, okay? We were talking up the Springboks' chances. We talked ourselves into believing that it was going to be 1995 all over again. Our box were going to rise to the occasion and pull off the upset win against the English. Oh, but how naive we were. Let's be honest, guys. Even though the match was close for quite a long time, South Africa were never going to beat England that day. The English were a superior side and simply too strong for us. People will talk about the charge down that led to Will Greenwood's try, but the reality is there was a big gulf between the two sides at that stage. The box did bounce back to beat Georgia, a test match significant for the debut of Skulk Berger, and also John Smith captaining the box for the very first time. We then finished off by hammering Samoa before the quarterfinal against the All Blacks. That would prove to be a step too far. We were easily beaten, 29-9. Do you really know your rugby? Do you always get your predictions right? Why not make some money then? Open an account right now with Tic Tac Bets and get up to 2,000 Rand and 20 spins with your first deposit. The link is appearing on your screen and I'll also put it in the description area. Please note that this is an affiliate link and I will make a little commission on it. Winners know when to stop. National Responsible Gambling Program. Toll-free helpline 0800-006-008. No persons under the age of 18 years are permitted to gamble. But in the aftermath of the tournament, there was a scandal. There was this thing called Kump Staldraat. It was revealed that the players were compelled to take part in pre-World Cup team building overseen by special forces. This was an extreme military boot camp. Photos surfaced of the players naked in the freezing cold of night. Here are five of the players to tell you a little bit more about Kamsaldrat. I wouldn't say we lost confidence. You know, you maybe respect in, a, in some way. You know, it's like 
oh, you know, how how do we get go through this? You know, and maybe you, you never know. You know, maybe there's method in the madness, and you go out and you you beat England in that pool game as as we we tried to do. You know, if we'd beaten England in the pool game, we wouldn't have played uh, New Zealand in the quarterfinal, which would have meant we probably would have gone through the semifinal. You know, so I, I don't think we had a team to win that World Cup, but I certainly believe we could have gone past quarterfinals. Um, but we came up against the all-black team in that quarterfinal that just annihilated us. So we were competitive uh, against England. You know, Johnny Wilkinson at his best was, was you know, we had them rattled for 70 minutes in, in the last 10 minutes they scored a try and, and a drop goal. So, I, you know, to be honest, sometimes you don't know what's going to be good for you. So sometimes if you go through, like, tough stuff, you never think, you know, maybe we can sneak through... This and, and, and maybe it toughens us up quite a bit and, and we pulled through one game, which was actually the England game. We always knew that that if we beat England, we're not going to play New Zealand. So it was always, if we if we lose and we come second in our pool, we're going to play the All Blacks, you know. So, yeah, you never know. And and, and you've got to go through these things. To, it's probably tri- trial and error. But I think the way things are run now, it's very different and there's a lot, lot more player input. And, and yeah, I'd say, you know, Again, that's why I read that because with the right right place at the wrong time, it's just you always want to play for the Sri Lanka. That's your dream as a kid. You want to be there, but then when you get there, uh, you hope that it's a bloody good era. And and then the era just before me was great under Nick Mallet. I mean, the one I think seventeen in a row, fifteen or I don't know how many. They, they equaled the world record for the most wins in a row. Um, so I was a part of that in a way, but not one hundred percent because I got injured. I was eight for nine months of that. And then, yeah, the era after me was Jake White, Tri-Nations, Champions, World Champions. Uh, mine um, just doesn't really put anything in good light, but uh, I had a, a bit of a boxing match with uh, Louis Kuhn and uh, we got into the ring and uh, we decided to say, you know, a gentleman's agreement, we've got three minutes where we can just spot this thing out or we can just have a crack at it. And I thought we had the gentleman's agreement. But the first thing that he did was jab me in the nose. So I decided to use my Eastern Cape uh, skills of boxing, born close to Tanzania, where it's a boxing maker of South Africa. I uh, went with a hook around the, um, the chest and uh, brought his head down. And then I could get my head, my fist through him and the uppercuts and everything. And I guess it uh, didn't last that long. Yeah, it was uh, the most episode when we had to box each other, you know, and uh, again, <laughs> not sure what it was, all the, the, the thinking behind it was from little Australia and his men, um, but it was it was just a horrible, horrendous time for us, but we had to box at the time, and I, I remember that the big boys were going first, and they had to go into each other, and it was, it was almost like a surreal, like, like the guys were looking at each other and be like, what's going on here, is this like for real, you know? And then, um, you know, coming from a farm, being a street fighter, <laughs> unfortunately, they gave me Derek Ochart. And, uh, you know, the, the problem was that I remember first, uh, like, for instance, you know, Werner and Tina's Garport went first. And these guys were playing around, you know, because you don't want to hit your mate. And then Rolf, Rolf, he sort of chipped in and said, guys, no, 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 we can't box like this. We have to, like, 
proper boxing, you know. And then from there, it was Fulham. And then me and Derek were going at each other. And then unfortunately, you know, I hit him at a spot where he almost, he certainly he collapsed. And then, you know, they, we got the medics in. And then thankfully after that, they had to stop the boxing because it was, it was just horrible. But I mean, that was a moment where I almost got a fright, you know, because I hit him sort of here in his, uh, you know, throat and then, uh, he certainly collapsed, and, and I tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not proud of it, but you had to defend yourself at the time, you know. But that was that was really a low moment. Uh, but thankfully, after that, they stopped all boxing. But there were many a moments where just horrendous, you know. It's uh, you know we don't want to depress people more because we need we need a lot of positive vibes uh, out there at the moment. But yeah, no, come started was just a just a horrible time. There's nothing positive about regret, you know. Um... I, I do regret that I didn't stand up in, in Kamstaldrad. Well, I did stand up once um, when we were in a freezing cold water in the middle of winter in, in the high felt. And I, I got the guys out of the water. And, and then a couple of gunshots went over our head. So we, we walked back into the water. So it wasn't a, it, it wasn't as if I didn't stand up, but I didn't stand up enough. You know, I should have said, look, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my team and I'm leaving. This is not, this is not what has to happen and if you want if you want you can try and pick another team but there, there's a, there's no other 23 around that can be as good as us so uh, maybe I wanted again you know as I said earlier if you want something too much you you sacrifice certain morals and ethics that you you actually stand for and and that's one of the things that I learned as a leader you never do that you, you stand up for what you you believe in and you walk away if you have to walk away and and there's a massive financial loss or or a, I don't know, maybe something like a World Cup that you can lose out on, then that's what you do. Yeah, it's one of those memories that you get nightmares on. Um, try not to to think about it too many, too many times. But no, it was, um, look, it was, um, it was felt by Rudolf and his coaching team that this was the way to really galvanize the team um, and get us prepared, um, you know, for, for the Rugby World Cup, you know, with all the challenges and pressures that come with a World Cup. Um, they wanted to try and replicate a bit of that pressure and um, get us a little bit closer. So, you know, hindsight is always a perfect science. And um, ultimately, you can only make decisions with the information that you have at that time. Um, you know, looking back, it was clearly not the right thing to do, um, uh, you know, scientifically to approach the mat, uh, you know, a massive tournament like that, you know, to put our bodies through stress like we did. Um, you know, people will frown on that now. But... You know, I think unfortunately, also for me, I um, I was in an Gloucester team at that side that had Phil Vickery, they had um, Trevor Woodman and Andy Gomesall. Uh, that was part of the World Cup winning um, England World Cup winning side. So, of course, when we came back to England um, after the Rugby World Cup, we compared notes and uh, like you do and preparation, and you know, heard heard their approach, which was totally the opposite to to our approach. You know, under Clive Woodward. You know, guys like Phil Vickery actually picked up, um, you know, a couple of kilograms in camp. They had their own chef. You know, they it, it was just a total different way of approach from from their side to, to our side. And you know, you could clearly understand now why, um, you know, they won the World Cup and and why they were in a in a better position than us. Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? You can click on my Patreon link, I'll put it on the screen as well as in the description box, and there will be great benefits for members. <laughs> well, survival mode. <laughs> you, you sort of just go into survival mode. Um, 
but you know the idea behind scum stole I think you know come out of the Chris Kitchy uh, um, uh, uh, um, um, era where Rudolf Charlie and the 1995 World Cup um, you know they had similar sort of phosphate um, um, camp I would imagine um, but again you know uh, the suffering together brings make you stronger together, but if it's done in the right way, you know, it felt like we had a little bit of a, a negative uh, thing around the old style comp style, right? So the idea behind it, I think, was 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 fair. Um, just maybe the the way it was handled, the way people were treated. Um, um, so it was quite um, quite an experience and. I enjoyed certain aspects of the of of the of the camp because there was just this one night they dropped us off all on our own and we had to survive and um, there was a few rekis there that supported us and I was at the they took ten on a bucky so we were thirty guys so ten on a bucky and then so I was standing last so the only disadvantage we had we had we didn't have enough we didn't have as much daylight left as the other 20 guys had left. But we had the fortunate uh, conversations with the Rekis that learned and teach us a few extra tricks for our one night alone in the felt. So I quite enjoyed that. I learned how to boil a boil an egg um, without anything. Um, so one day when you visit me in Cape Town, I'll show you. Um, and I learned a few other tricks and trades uh, uh, from a survival point of view, but I enjoyed that night in the felt because no one bothered us, no one shouting at you. This is on your own. You can watch the stars, and uh, you know have a few thoughts of your own and process a few things. Um, but what was funny the one day we um, and maybe you've heard the story before. We were um, in a in a um, in a dam, but it was a it was. Very, very cold. And I don't know if you've heard this before, but they um, they put us into the dam and out of the dam cold. And I was, I mean, we hardly had any fat then because, um, you know, I remember a guy, I mean, Stefan de Blanche, you know how he trains nowadays even. And he was like so skinny, he had no fat in him. So for us, that was a bit more skinnier, you know, those cold water, you know, you sort of froze, you know. Then you have to get out and put your pants on, uh, your, your clothes back on, but you're so. Um, you know, so cold, you, you can hardly do it. And But the guys and the coaching staff were making a small little fire on the side and brying a little Buddha voice. And remember, we didn't eat. So the smell was quite, um, you know, nice. And and then the felt got uh, catch fire. And they chased us out of the out of the dam to go and help, um, um, you know, kill the fire. And uh, so everybody was uh, chasing the fire and doing everything. So there's one particular guy instead of helping us, so everybody was running away from the way they were brying because the, the fire was taking into the field. And uh, <laughs> eventually we were looking for this one guy and he was looking where, where he is. So all he did is he ran to where the bry was and made himself a little hot dog. <laughs> so he scored a little uh, Budavos roll and the rest of us were putting out the fire. So, um, so there was funny things happening and, you know, we learned a few things of each other. Learn a few things about yourself, and we also learned how not to do a Springbok camp before the World Cup. Strauli was sacked, and Silas Nkanunu stepped down as SAFU president. 
And here's Captain Corne Kricher describing the internal conflict he experienced about Kamstaldraat. The principle was right, you know, the principle of taking players away from their luxury hotels, taking them out into the bush, uh, putting them in a, in a sort of military environment where they really struggle and, and there's no cell phones, you can't speak to your mates. And it's, it was really hard. The principle's right that if you, if you have to rely on each other, you become closer and you, and you understand each other better. You know who, who moans the most when, when there's real pressure and, 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 and when, when you're under, under severe physical strain. The only difference was that, you know, th- they took it a bit far. Um, there were special forces involved who, um, who their, their, their idea of physical, um, torture is, is very different to the general man in the streets, physical torture. So I think that was, that was one of the mistakes. And I think, you know, um, a couple of months out, I think we were two or three months out from a World Cup. You know, you, you want to build players up. You don't want to break them down. And unfortunately, these guys just broke us down. A lot of stuff went down that that has been spoken about. You know, we, we did really silly stuff, you know. Um, and as a captain, you know, I I'd missed one World Cup. And I knew I wasn't going to make another World Cup. The way I played wasn't, uh, it wasn't likely. I would never have made that 2007 World Cup. And even if I did make that World Cup, I don't think um, Jake White would have picked me because I was too small. Um, so, so, you know, and one of the things I learned there is, as a, a lesson for a leader is like, you must never sacrifice your morals and your ethics and what you stand for just to make one thing, you know, and the one thing I really wanted to go to that World Cup, and I make no stories about it, that we were told in no uncertain terms that if you don't make the camp, you know, you probably, you won't, you will not go to the World Cup. So I stuck it out, you know, and I, and I allowed my players to go through stuff that I probably would never do in in normal circumstances, you know. So I was disappointed in myself afterwards. I, I, I still see some of the guys' faces when eggs were broken on their heads and, and, and the disappointment and the the torture that they went through. And I'm like, yeah, Kona, you could have been better. It wasn't my proudest moment. But, you know, if you learn from those things and as a leader, you've got to come out on the other side better if, when you make mistakes like that. You know, so it was, a, it was a big mistake on my side. It is said that the night is darkest before the dawn. And if you know what happened next, you'll agree that happier times were indeed ahead. See you next time.